0: of Animalia, where we bring wildlife conservation, climate change, and social justice together to help people connect the dots and get involved. We've had an incredible first year with the Animalia podcast, and I want to personally thank all of you for listening and tuning in week after week. What started as a side quarantine project has really turned into something special. I've personally learned a ton this year about all things conservation and climate, especially from our incredible guests, and I hope you all have as well. As a way to wrap up season one, we thought it would be fun to ask our guests from this year, one key question. What is something you are thankful for from 2020 as it relates to saving this planet and all the life it supports? This year has been brutal on so many fronts. So many of us have lost loved ones. I personally lost one of my grandmothers from a COVID outbreak in her nursing home back in spring. And so many others have been struggling to survive to keep their head above water, and to try to stay optimistic. The silver lining of all this is that 2020 has really pointed a spotlight on so many of the systemic problems in this world and in this country. Issues like climate change, racism, wealth gaps, our broken healthcare system. These things are more apparent than ever, and that gives us reason to hope they will be addressed in a more direct way going forward. It is important when you maintain some aspect of optimism and hope. This is something those of us who work in conservation and environmentalism talk about all the time. Optimism and hope is so critical in succeeding to save this planet. And that is why we are finishing this first season with this specific episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. And let's hear from our amazing guests what they are thankful for in 2020 as it relates to this larger mission we are all on. Let's start with my dear friend Gaia, one of my favorite humans on this planet and founder of Dashboard Earth. As she points out, 2020 is the end of business as usual and has forced all of us to reassess our values.
1: Well, 2020 has changed everything at every level. Surviving and thriving in the face of climate means rethinking our deepest assumptions about the world and our place in it. 2020 has spelt the end of business as usual or the idea that things can't or won't change. In our isolation, every basic assumption about what it means to be human at this moment in time has been called into question. I've witnessed person after person making the choice to align more deeply with their values, commit to making their life feel more meaningful and valuable, and nothing gives me more hope.
0: Gaia is as motivational and inspirational as they come. Sasha, founder of Sustainability, pioneering more aggressive standards in the world of sustainable fashion, gave similar sentiments to Gaia.
2: For 2020, what I'm most grateful for is there seems to have been a real mass awakening with large segments of the population. And I'm not just talking about with climate change. I mean, a lot of global issues that are going on from BLM to human rights in general, to equality to mental health. There are a lot of things in this world which have been problems for a long time which have been swept under the rug, ignored, or maybe not given, you know, the the main spotlight within the media. So people either weren't aware, didn't want to be aware, or didn't want to have to get behind it and actually do something about it. Now it seems like for the first time that I've known or in, in my lifetime, people are banding together and they're getting behind each other and they're having each other's back and they're showing up and saying, what are these problems and how can we make them change? So I'm extremely grateful for the huge shift in the population that seems to have at least started taking place and is taking place now, where people are waking up to the fact that, yeah, there are real huge issues in this world. And if we don't start fixing them and looking at them, then maybe there's not gonna be much of a world left. So you know, why don't you tell me what's going on if I don't know and I'm ready and willing to start learning from you. So I think for the first time that I've seen, people are really starting to work together. They're starting to listen and band together and say, okay, right. So these are the problems. Now, what are we going to do about it?
0: Thank you, Guy and Sasha, for putting this year in great context. I want to next share a quote from Nikki Wheeler, who leads the work at Latin America Sea Turtle Conservation in Costa Rica. Many conservation projects have deeply struggled in 2020, losing funding that comes from grants, donations, and ecotourism. Whereas poaching, which is funded primarily by wealthy elites, has not been forced to take a similar pause, and if anything, has accelerated. Still, despite so much of her team, including herself, losing their salaries and being forced to volunteer to keep the program alive and save as many turtles this hatching season as they could they didn't miss a beat
3: we are really thankful for from this year has probably been to see the commitment of people that are still on the ground, that are still working, that are still fighting, even those people that have lost their salaries, me for example, <laughs> but still working and still committed to the cause. And I think that's really heartwarming to see that people, regardless of not making a living anymore, are still dedicated to the protection of their natural resources and the, the animals that live in it. So I think that would be my main one, seeing the community still participate, even though they are not earning any money from it anymore, is really... Just kind of cool and makes you makes us realize that we've done a good job over the past 10 12 years of educating communities being involved in their lives in raising the, their children and being a part of that has now created a much more conscientious person in these rural communities so i think that would be what i would be thankful for this year is to see the commitment not just of our staff and field staff but of the communities that are involved as well
0: it's good to be reminded Of the goodness of people and what we are capable of when we put our hearts and our values first and live selflessly. On a similar note, Nat Geo explorer and conservation activist Niall McCann shared how inspired he is by the team and community at Chisirira National Park in Zimbabwe. They've kept up the tremendous work against all odds in 2020, showing again the power of human determination and commitment to save this planet.
1: So of all the things I'm most thankful for in 2020, I am most thankful to my amazing team of community scouts and staff working for me for National Park Rescue in Chisabira National Park in Zimbabwe, who have spent the last 10 months, while I've not been able to travel out there, keeping the park safe and making sure that the park still is able to deliver ecosystem services for the people that surround it. They've done an unbelievable job and I'm hugely thankful to them.
0: Honestly, I could spend hours on end talking to Niall and never lose focus. He is, uh, he is a true, true gem. Paul Thompson, the executive director of Save Pangolins, shared his sentiment towards seeing a larger global movement rise up to fight for nature's biggest underdog, the pangolin. The most trafficked wild animal in the world has long gone without the spotlight, like many other species, elephant, rhino, tigers, lion. But the length of COVID has changed all that. And with that has come a growing wave of supporters and advocates that may allow us to actually save this species.
2: Something that really came into focus
0: this year in 2020 was that there is this rising team of young, passionate, extremely dedicated penguin conservationists. And these young champions, to me, really give me hope um, that, that we still have a fighting chance to save pangolins from extinction. So I'm really grateful to see this type of uh, momentum growing and and see these young, inspiring individuals come up. Um, and, and I really believe they're the next generation of pangolin conservationists. Julianne Hummelberg believes that the events of 2020 will lead to an increase in the plant-based diet movement. Because of its positive environmental effects, and because of the clarity we're getting on the disease risk associated with how we treat wildlife and livestock.
3: Hi, I'm Julianne Hummelberg, a vice president at Power Plant Ventures. And in 2020, I'm most grateful for the acceleration of growth and awareness around plant-based diets. From consumers realizing that their health is in their own hands and that food actually can be medicine, to supply chain issues and COVID outbreaks linked to factory farm animal products, The conversation around plant-based diets is more robust than ever before, and we believe this is a key unlock to saving our planet, boosting animal welfare, and improving the health of our society.
0: This was also one of our big eight predictions for 2021, which we'll get to at the end of this podcast. On another business front, Elisa Baer-Lentz from Kincher Fibers believes 2020 is going to catapult the sustainability movement in fashion, similar to what Julianne sees happening in food.
2: Something that I'm thankful for in 2020 is that people grew increasingly aware of the fashion industry supply chain challenges. And people's wellness, as well as environmental wellness, was put to the forefront of both mainstream media and consumers' minds.
0: We've also touched a lot this year on the importance of our relationship with the natural world and the benefits of spending more time in nature. With the Black of its STEM leaders, we discussed how this is a basic human right that needs to be more accessible. With Molly Kahawada, we discussed the benefits of nature in our own mental health. Well, Paul Ramos shared with us how he thinks 2020 is gonna solidify this bond even more.
3: Hey, this is Dr. Paul Ramos, and I'd like to say for 2020, what I'm most
1: grateful for is that for so many of us, there's this newfound appreciation for what's been always the case, and that is how profoundly connected we are to nature. On a personal level, I'm really grateful for the gratitude which has really grown, which has gotten me through this. Mark Hiley of
0: National Park Rescue had a pretty direct message to share, highlighting how COVID slowed down nature's killing machine of human activity and hopes, as it picks back up, we operate a bit differently and recognize the impact
1: we have. Working on the front lines of the war on wildlife in Africa has left me deeply ashamed of my own race. In The Matrix, Agent Smith called human beings a disease, a cancer on the planet. Naturalist Sir David Attenborough agreed calling us a plague on the earth. It's difficult to argue with that. We now slaughter 350 million marine animals and 235 million land animals every single day, just for our food. Since I was born, we've also destroyed over 83% of wildlife and 50% of all plant life on the planet. It's terrifying. And like it or not, we're all part of history's biggest killing machine. But in 2020, a pandemic tiny compared to potential future pandemics, managed to stop the machine. Whilst I feel for its victims, for the sake of all future humans, I'm thankful for this pause. Like a collared bully banished to stand in the corner of the room, humanity finally has a chance to think and rein in its ancient instinct for greed and killing.
0: Of course, a major bright spot from 2020 as it relates to saving this planet and protecting all lives especially those marginalized, was the change in the White House. Now, here at Animalia, we don't really house negative views of conservative thinking in general, but we absolutely despise Donald Trump. There's no reason to skirt around that. He has been one of the most damaging individuals in modern history as it relates to the climate crisis on so many fronts, not to mention damaging on pretty much every other aspect of the human experience. But he's on his way out. And while we have plenty of beef with Biden from a career standpoint, we are excited for new leadership and believe Biden and his team are fully committed to tackling the climate crisis head on. Our guest, Molly, summed it up rather bluntly.
2: One of the things I'm really grateful for in 2020 is that we collectively as a nation took one of the most sweeping and impactful climate actions for this decade, which was getting Donald Trump out of office and electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Thanks, everybody.
0: And two of our favorites, Gabby and Ben Kay from Invisible Unicorn, also touched on the White House change and their thanks for 2020.
3: So something that I'm grateful for in 2020, particularly is the teachers that are teaching my kids and they're having to do it virtually because we're in Los Angeles and we've been in a permanent state of lockdown for most of this year. And I think about everything that Ben and I worked to achieve during the year and how We wouldn't have been able to do any of that if they hadn't had this extraordinary instruction from these teachers, shifting all their work practices to virtual work and still achieving so much. So that's what I'm grateful for.
0: Finally, last but certainly not least, was a note from my father, Jim Veraldi. I'm incredibly thankful and proud that he embarked on his own climate journey alongside me this year and rose from the shadows a bit of traditional conservative thinking and generational thinking to recognize how problematic this issue is and since has started to make changes in his own life. Hi, this is Jay's dad, Jim Veraldi, and I wanted to let you guys know what I'm thankful for for 2020. It's been a very, very tough year with the pandemic and social unrest and all kinds of other things going on. But for me, it was back in May when Jay gave me the gift of a Coursera climate change course from
1: University of Michigan. So at the end of this year, I feel I've improved my understanding of the climate change challenge that our planet is facing, not just our
0: country, and that awareness is key. As a baby boomer, I've learned that we can do things individually as well as support the global community. It's so important that the climate issue topic becomes a bipartisan one, not a political one. And I, for one, firmly believe we're going to see more conservative thinkers and voters like my father step up in this regard next year, even while maintaining their more traditional conservative values. Which brings us to 2021. What can we expect from 2021 and what should we look forward to? Well, I took the time to personally write down eight positive things I think are gonna happen in 2021 as it relates to climate change and conservation. We shared these in our Animalia newsletter this week in more detail. But let me briefly summarize each one of them here. By the way, if you don't get the Animalia newsletter, you should. It's totally free. Comes out every week. You can subscribe at www.iloveanimalia.com backslash blogs backslash newsletter. If you just go to the website as well, you'll find newsletter in the header. All right. So let's get to the eight forecasts I see coming in 2021. First. I believe we'll see fashion clean up the sustainability messaging. You're all probably aware of how big the fashion's footprint is on our environment, as much as 10% of all greenhouse gases. The fashion industry has been a big problem for a long time. We touched on this a little bit in our episode on greenwashing and synthetic fabrics this year on the pod. Well, one of the bigger problems is the mess around the messaging and sustainability. And that there's so many brands that are jumping in and using it in different ways, it's starting to mean nothing. There just are no actual standards. But I see this changing in 2021. I think we're going to see alignment across top fashion brands and third-party agencies to create standards for sourcing, labor, and manufacturing as it relates to sustainability. I think key third-party certifications will become more affordable and accessible for smaller brands that are truly hitting these higher standards as a way of forcing the bigger brands to play ball. I think we'll see increased consumer demand for transparency beyond the word sustainable and, and demand insight into the entire supply chain of those they are buying clothes from. I also think we're going to see a new crop of fashion influencers on social media that are actually schooled in sustainability and prioritize true impact over purely the highest bidder for their promotions. All right, number two, the Paris Accord and beyond. I fully expect within the first week of Joe Biden's inauguration, that he will formally rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, which the U.S. was part of prior to Trump in a collective alignment to ensure that temperatures don't rise above one and a half degrees by the year 2050. Now, climate change is a global issue. I can't stress enough how important it is to cooperate on a global level in order to address this. There is no nation in the world, and that includes the two most powerful and biggest nations, China and the United States, that can solve climate change on their own. Not only do I think the U.S. is going to quickly rejoin the accord, I think they are going to push those standards even more aggressively. Now, there will be work to be done for the U.S. to regain some of their trust on the international level. But I think most global leaders recognize that Donald Trump was an anomaly that Donald Trump does not necessarily represent the United States. He represents his own cult you know, movement of sorts that you know will hopefully sink back into the shadows where it belongs. And we've already heard from John Kerry, who is Biden's special advisor on climate change, that the U.S. is planning to do just this, not just to join the accord, but to do it in even more aggressive standards. What I encourage the United States to do, and I think they will and should do, is to rather than point fingers at others to look in the mirror and to start to hold ourselves to higher standards as a way of rebuilding that trust on the global level. I expect the 2021 United Nations Climate Conference in Glasgow on November 1st to be where we see this take place. Number three, the marginalized working class communities will force the wealthy elites into action. One of the harsh realities of 2020 is that The adverse effects of climate change have the most negative impact on the marginalized working-class communities. These are communities who live in flood zones. These are communities who are forced to live densely, so densely that diseases can quickly spread. These are communities that don't have adequate health coverage. These are communities that have trouble rebuilding after a hurricane. The problem has been that all the power and the funding lies in the world's wealthy elites, and they don't really get affected by short-term climate issues living in their ivory towers. But I do think those in the working class, those who are marginalized, are going to step up and demand action. They already have, but I think finally people will listen. And that has started to happen in 2020. We expect local leaders at the city and state level to prioritize the needs of these folks. And I think you're gonna see this on both political spectrums. I think both liberal and conservative leaders in Washington are going to recognize the working class voice and stand up for it. We will see progress towards making healthcare more accessible. We'll see a change in how low-income housing is developed. And we will see a demand for more access to healthy, cleaner foods. Congressional leaders like AOC are part of the sea change and connecting the dots between climate action and social justice. And I believe AOC is just the tip of the iceberg, not an anomaly. China will set new standards against wildlife trafficking. Look, there's no country in the world more ambitious than China, and that includes us. They recognize how important their reputation is in order to continue their economic expansion and their empire building, but they also recognize how that reputation has been soured due to its connection with COVID-19. There's a growing movement within China that recognizes wildlife trafficking as the likely source of COVID, just as it was with SARS in 2003, which came from the trafficking of civets. According to the China Daily News, recently three more major corporations joined a pledge in October to make more aggressive moves to stopping trafficking. Now, while most of these moves stand against trafficking in the form of food, the larger issue remains with traditional Chinese medicine. We're going to talk a lot more with some of the folks in China about traditional Chinese medicine, otherwise known as TCM, in season two on the podcast. But We've already started to see some of that change. A big thing happened in in June of this year where pangolin scales were deemed no longer legal for use in traditional Chinese medicine. Now, look, enforcement is what matters here, right? We've seen all the time, we do this in the US as well, where we pass certain laws or provisions that look good on paper, but if they're not enforced, they don't mean anything. So we'll see what happens. But there is a growing movement here and there is reason to be positive. And I expect this progress to continue China's crackdown on wildlife trafficking domestically. Number five, eating more plant-based diets goes mainstream. For decades, eating a vegan diet put you on the outside looking in. You're a hipster, you're a tree hugger, you know, you had to prepare most of your own foods because it was impossible to eat out. Then there was a growing vegan movement in the last 20 years, especially on the kind of coastal regions of the US. But it's kind of a fringe lifestyle that was centered mostly in elite white cultures and circles. And it, you know, focused on a little more self-righteousness and judgment of others. And a lot of vegan food has been kind of priced out of reach for most. But we've seen that start to change in 2020. We've seen a shift away from the word vegan into plant-based, recognizing that living a plant-based diet does not mean you have a right to judge and harass others who are not doing the same as we see often with 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 some traditional you know vegans in that regard. And I think that that name change makes a big deal. We've also seen more food become accessible. We've seen more innovation in plant-based proteins. It's really been tremendous to see what's happening in the plant-based sector. In early 2020, there are now 10 million Americans that sort of signal that they eat a plant-based diet. Well, that was just that was less than a million just 10 years ago. I expect this to increase possibly two to threefold this year. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean going 100% plant-based is the only way to go. As almost all experts point out, if everyone just ate 20% less meat than they do today, that alone would cap emissions and solve the worst part of the climate crisis, even if nothing else changed on energy, on fashion, on any, anything else, on transportation, on housing. That's how harmful the meat industry is to the environment. And it's something that we have to continue to make progress towards. I encourage all of you to just try to cut out just a little bit. Again, everyone just needs to cut eat 20 percent less. Everyone does not need to move to 100% plant-based. Absolutely not. And many, many can't, whether it's from accessibility, from financial, for health reasons, there are many reasons people can't do it, and that's totally understandable and needs to be counted for. But if everyone just ate a little less, we'd make a lot of progress. And I expect that to become more mainstream and less fringe in 2021. 2021 is also the year I think we're going to go nuclear. By this, I mean nuclear energy is going to see a boom in the next 12 months. We've written about this before in Animalia, how nuclear energy is a very critical step in getting us all fossil fuels. It is a far cleaner form of energy than fossil fuels and far more scalable than solar or wind or hydro. That's not to say we shouldn't be investing in solar, wind, and hydro. It just means that those, those sources have a long way to go to meet our overall energy demands, and we got to get off of fossil fuels. Well, we think nuclear energy is the critical bridge solution between where we are today and where we one day will be with renewables or possibly with fusion. This is also something that is something that can cross the political lines. Conservatives like the lower cost and short term ROI and jobs from nuclear versus the longer term investments and payouts of other renewables. And Democrats like that nuclear can fast track us off of fossil fuels. So again, anything where I think both political sides can get along, that's those are issues I think we'll see, we'll see take shape. And I do think, you know, for nuclear energy, we're already seeing reactors get smaller and safer. We're seeing major advancements in how we dispose and manage nuclear waste. And I think all of these things collectively, we're going to see a big, big rise in nuclear in 2021. Number seven, environmental standards become the darling of Wall Street. You know, there was something that happened in early January that, man, it's, it's, all, it's almost easy to forget. It's easy to forget anything that happened in January after what we've been through this year. But the leader and CEO of the largest fund in the world, BlackRock, CEO Lawrence Fink, has an annual letter that is sort of, how do I describe this? It is, it is the most widely seen letter piece of writing every year across Wall Street. Not just Wall Street, across on a global spec across the Hong Kong exchange. Like Everyone in the world looks at Lawrence Fink's letter. In the letter last January, he made it clear that his firm was going to take a tougher stance against other firms that do not provide proper accounting on their environmental risks and standards in their public filings. And what he means when he says take a tougher stance, he's just not, allo- he's not going to allocate funds to them. And that's a big deal. BlackRock manages $7 trillion in assets. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Perhaps most importantly, Thinks reasons are not just altruistic. He points out that he believes it is no longer good business sense to be disregarding environmental impact, that the cost of these damages are going to come in the form of both increased regulation and loss of customers who are demanding more from the largest companies. He's also recognizing that the cost to fix environmental issues is outpacing the cost to prevent them in the first place. I'm very much looking forward to Fink's letter this January, given everything that has happened since his last one. But I expect you will finally start to see a real shift in Wall Street and hedge funds and private equity funds of prioritizing, putting money towards environmental standards. And number eight, the U.S. will get a federal ban on all single-use plastics. There are eight states today that have already banned single-use plastics. California, Vermont, New York, Hawaii, Delaware, Connecticut, Maine, and Oregon. Now, what comes to mind? All very liberal states. Absolutely. But as I've talked about already in this episode, I really do think the shadow, the dark, vile shadow of Donald Trump is going to fade into this, you know, <laughs> just this conspiracy lit in ridden uh, cult small, you know, small group. And I do think the Republican Party and conservatives are going to try to separate this separate themselves from Trump and i think one of the things you're going to see them doing is finding where they can chip away and start to embrace climate action while still maintaining their own conservative values. so i don't necessarily see them, you know, rushing against putting a stop to fracking and drilling. that is a economic, you know, kind of pillar of theirs that they're not just going to, to they're not they that they're going to stay on on their side of so to speak. but things like banning single-use plastics is an area where I think it's perfectly set up for conservative thinking and and the conservative party to actually align with the liberal Democrats on this topic. It's very PR friendly, does not adversely impact major businesses, and it can have a huge effect. A full global move to ban plastics and single-use plastics and phase ourselves into a circular economy could reduce plastics in the ocean by as much as 80%. Furthermore, Canada recently announced that they also will be enacting a federal ban by the end of 2021 on six different common, commonly used, single-use plastics. Straws, stir sticks, six-pack rings, plastic grocery bags, and then cutlery and food takeout containers that can't be recycled. I think we're going to see the same thing from the U.S. by the end of the year. All right. Well, that's going to do it for season one of the Animalia's podcast. Before I leave you, I want to thank a few specific folks who made all of this possible this year. First, to my dear friend, Annalie, who got Animalia started with me and my sister Dana in the first place. She helped create this podcast. She did all the early editing and outreach work. and She was a co-host as well. She's moved on to pursue some of her own dreams in music and social activism, but I'm so, so thankful for everything she did for us. And this podcast would not exist without her. To my friend, Jose, who's been editing the pod ever since Annalie left us and taking over and doing an incredible job. Big thanks to you, Jose. To Annalise and Lauren, who have been helping out with the podcast since I think early September or Octoberish, both from a production standpoint, from a social asset creation. They've been tremendous, and they've been contributing a ton. Big thanks to you both, Annalise and Lauren. And finally, to my best friend, Nare, who has been a guest host at times, but has been a constant source of inspiration and support throughout. We're going to be taking off a month in January before returning with Season 2, starting in February expect to see some more investigative stories. We're going to see some multi-part stories. Uh, I'm super, super excited about what's going to come in season two next year. And uh, yeah, I think that that'll, that'll pretty much do it. I want to thank you all for your support. I wish you a happy new year from the Animalia team and here's to a year of progress and joy.